0: What's up everybody? Thank you for tuning in to this week's Demo Day. I'm your host, Sean Goldfan, CEO of Coefficient Labs. And on today's show, we'll be interviewing Chris Kemeny, the co-founder and managing director of Techfen Ventures. Chris has led investments in a dozen companies, including Pivot Bio, Prospera, Tropic Biosciences, Soft Robotics, and many more. He's a venture investor with a focus on technology companies modernizing legacy industries and is also very passionate about solving global challenges through innovative technology and science. On today's show, we cover what VCs look for when investing in founders, risks that you take as an investor and how to mitigate those risks, and the mindset you should adopt when facing adversity. Without further ado, let's jump into demo day. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today on Demo Day. Pleasure's all mine. Thanks. So, Chris, one of the you know things I'm really excited to dig into uh, is really you know your passion around the industry of investing in startups, and you know sort of taking all of this knowledge that you've built in your early career. Uh, going to school and really trying to, you know, triangulate all of like the opportunities that you see out there. And now you've ended up at techfen Ventures. I'm excited to learn more about your journey and how you got into this position. But I always like to start the podcast just by, you know, really kind of digging in a little bit deeper into the why behind the investing. You know, why you're so motivated to really dig into these new technologies. I, I'm excited to uncover, you know, one of the startups you mentioned on our previous call around Pivot Bio, And, you know, you just have this opportunity to see technology and entrepreneurs at the earliest part of their journey. Um, and I'm just curious, why is this something that you're so passionate about? Why have you been able to invest years of your life into finding, investing, and facilitating uh, these sorts of entrepreneurial journeys?
1: Yeah, so for me, uh, as I kind of think of where my passions align, it's it's all around um, problem-solving technology as solutions and investing to create value. And here at TechFan Ventures, we back technologies that are helping to ensure better tomorrow for everyone. So we focus on effectively identifying and backing the necessary capabilities that as a society, we're gonna need to feed, build, and supply a growing population and an ailing planet. So we think about what's out there in the world of early stage businesses that can help us create those solutions that solve for the more legacy industries, which, we don't tend to think about as much uh, living in New York or being in uh, LA. Things like the agriculture, the construction, the manufacturing verticals. And these are massive industries, Sean. So we're talking about half of the world's GDP and two thirds of global workforce being concentrated uh, in these activities. And you know, for for some time, they've been sort of out of sight, out of mind. And we we think there's just Massive uh, both need and opportunity to identify kind of early and emerging technologies and unlock with them these massive opportunities in global industries that that's what gets me excited
0: now now chris the I loved in our first conversation you know talking about um, the the world that you live in seems so different to me than the world of like a technology investor that's focusing on business to consumer apps or, you know, building the next Snapchat or the next clubhouse. The, the, the companies that you're working with are really on the frontier of things like agriculture and, you know, construction and like, uh, so much of it is really, you know, foundational, and you don't, you really take it for granted as someone that thinks about, well, like, who are the types of investors that are investing in bridges being built or investing in, you know, the infrastructure of a city. And so, you know, I I find it fascinating that you've chosen that to be your, you know, pathway. And and I I remember uh, saying, you know, it's not. It's not really like the sexiest version of venture and investing, but you know there is something about uh, really seeing the foundation of some of these new innovations. Um, before diving too much into you know your journey and how you got here, maybe you could talk just for a minute around one of those innovations. I, I felt like the story of Pivot Bio was such a unique. Um, you know, opportunity and and maybe just to give some of our listeners an idea of like the sorts of companies that maybe would pass by, you know, your table and and why you get really excited about this world, the sort of problems they're solving.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Sean. So, and, and I, I think that's, you know, core theme behind it is problem solving. Uh, both, you know, that gives me purpose and kind of my, my day-to-day job and also uh, the sort of, Businesses like Pivot Bio that we get really excited and humbled to uh, invest in and help grow. Thinking back, even just uh, about 100 years ago, one of the most important innovations we've ever had as, as humans has been the kind of invention of the Haber-Bosch process, which helps us make fertilizer, specifically nitrogen-based fertilizer. This, you know, kind of uh, innovation has helped us feed. And provide for four billion people on this planet. It's about half the people we wouldn't have enough food for if we hadn't come up with this innovation. But it's now over a century old. Um, it uses a lot of energy, and it's not—it's not ideal. It's causing um, a lot of problems, even though it's necessary because we have to eat, and there's only more of us, and there's you know less uh, available land and we're, you know fresh water and all these other things we need to find new version of fertilizer that is 21st century appropriate. It's it's a massive kind of need. And Pivot Bio has sort of um, unlocked this fascinating and uh, we think transformative capability, uh, leveraging basically microbes to fix nitrogen from the air and make it available for uh, for crops at the roots. So imagine, you know, it's almost like a self-fertilizing uh, Jack and the magic Bean beanstalk. Now they're focused on corn and they're growing into wheat and other crops. And, you know, this is a $200 billion a year industry, fertilizers, it's massive and growing because there's more of us. And if you can replace a, you know, half a billion dollar fertilizer plant that just uses a ton of natural gas and consumes a lot of energy Um, And we have to ship fertilizer and put it out in in the field with tractors with something as just elegant, simple, brilliant as harnessing nature and microbes to do this in a way that is uh, more effective. It's just a win, win, win. So businesses like that get us really, really excited uh, because they are, we believe, the way forward.
0: Uh, that's, that's so cool. And I can't wait to kind of tap back into some of the key elements that really signaled to you that this was a team and an idea that you wanted to invest in. Um, if I can, I'd like to kind of backtrack for just a minute and start to kind of build a little bit of context around yourself. And I think that for a lot of the listeners of the show, we have, um, you know, a lot, a lot of people that are trying to break into VC that are, you know, Uh, business oriented, finance oriented, um, have been watching and listening to the show trying to think about what's their angle to get in. And and I do think that you have a really interesting way that you went about it. And so I would love um, as we get there to just talk about like how you viewed the path to venture and how you broke in. Uh, And then maybe like we can, you know, begin to parlay that into sort of what you're excited about uh, moving the future. So if you could just spend a minute or so Talk to us a little bit about where you grew up. You know, what were you like as a kid? Were you really into sports or school? Or what was sort of like your, you know, day-to-day like for Chris back uh, when you were uh, just coming up, coming up in age?
1: Great question. And uh, yeah, probably not one I spend as much thinking about these days. But originally, I'm I'm from Hungary. So I was born in in Budapest. My family moved to the States when I was uh, six. We... um, moved eventually from LA to the Carolinas um and I ended up back in LA for for undergrad and growing up uh just the chance to meet new people and connect with them was always really important for me uh as a you know probably weird little kid with a funny name and um you know I I found uh learning to be fascinating I found connecting with people and oftentimes through sports to be a great uniter and I think in a way, um, I used uh, just that need of having to connect with new people. Uh, every new place we we move to, as uh, as a way to kind of bridge and form new new relationships. I've always been very curious, um, and uh, you know, things, puzzles that uh, riddles that I can't. You know, uh, the the more complex they are, the more they kind of engage me. My sort of path to venture was not a direct one. It wasn't what I set out, kind of determined to do early in life. It was more serendipitous. Um, and these industries also weren't uh, necessarily where I was focused on earlier in my career.
0: And, yeah. and maybe, maybe we could, you know, unpackage that a little because you, I think from my you know conversations with you as you said you've always been fascinated by solving big problems whether that would be in health tech or healthcare care in general um yeah. you know, when you went to college you mentioned the fact that you didn't know exactly what you wanted to do um maybe just describe sort of what it was like for you transitioning into your first role and you know i guess the direction that i'm trying to take us to is like was there a moment that you started to kind of have that aha moment that there was things happening? and and so, um, you know, talk to us about that first early career and what that was like, and then how that maybe um you know started to become like a sort of a launch pad to your next part of your career?
1: Yeah, so uh, I think interestingly enough and 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 I think it will tie nicely to the conversations uh, for the conversation we have later is I think. Earlier in life, I was a little bit unfocused. And what I mean by that is I was interested in a lot of things. And in college, I had a triple majored in um, economics, international relations, and political science. And I I had a chance to uh, go to school in LA at USC, loved it. But even then spent one of my four years in London at the London School of Economics, taking coursework in in, uh, econ and, and international relations. I, I sort of um, was broadly just curious about how the world worked and a part of it that I, I didn't know but was really, really interested in um, and was exposed to during my time in London at LSC was finance. And mm-hmm. so my first sort of professional position coming out of undergrad was, uh, was one where I had a chance to allocate capital. To opportunities, um, and specifically in the investment management division at Goldman Sachs, it was it was a really, I think, transformative experience for me to kind of top down understand how the global financial markets work, uh, how folks think about asset allocation in a really kind of methodical and disciplined way, um, how manager selection works. So within an asset class, you know, what what the, what the asset class kind of meant to do, and how does manager kind of of uh, of an investment fund uh, sort of perform that role better than even others? And how do kind of broad events, trends and macro shifts kind of ripple across our global economy, these financial markets and these various investment classes? So it it was really kind of a fascinating uh, few years trying to piece all those things together. Um, And part of it was spent during the Global financial crisis—the first one—so <laughs> added even more sort That's of big excitement, yeah and, yeah, and accelerated changes, yeah, and 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 certainly didn't solve uh, the, the financial crisis. But I had a chance to kind of experience how, in, it, during one of these shocks, uh, things sort of fall apart. What what's fragile? What what's sort of um, often overlooked? And and how we kind of come out of it the other side. After a few years there. I was really interested in ways that, uh, you know, technology was was being used to solve problems. So a bit of a, a transition. Um, I looked at various opportunities, both within finance and uh, sort of other um, industries. But the one that really spoke to me was one where I had a chance to solve big needs of the U.S. healthcare industry, leveraging kind of technology that had been really successful at transforming other sort of similar industries. Mm. This was a moment in time when the ACA had been recently passed. And this meant that there was sort of an unlocking moment where old impediments and new incentives were sort of coming together, uh, enabling and accelerating the adoption of things that could make better, faster, cheaper, more efficient delivery of healthcare services possible. And given that it's a fifth of US GDP, you know, it felt like for me this was a um, just a really, really important and really exciting inflection point that uh, I wanted to be on the front row of. And if I could be a part, small part of bringing something new to market, identifying, understanding, and then building a solution to it, it could have a massive impact uh, that touched lots of people and had positive kind of effects on uh, anyone that. you you know, I had a experience with, with the healthcare industry here. Um, And so that was, that was kind of my, my next big um, kind of career transition.
0: It sounds like a lot of your early success, whether it was sort of like on the front of your mind or not, was your ability to kind of build connections and relationships with new people that you hadn't met before, probably because you had to like come to America at a young age and then go from LA to, you know, North Carolina, but you were always thinking about like connecting with people and building your relationships out. Um, Do you have any either learnings or pieces of advice for other, um, you know, entrepreneurs that are maybe like, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, they're still young, they're not, they're not kids, but they come to America for the first time. What advice do you have for those that, you know, aren't born with a kind of a community built into place, but rather you know, are coming from Israel to do a, you know, a, a workshop or a, an accelerator program here, they're coming from a different country. Um, Anything that you've learned in sort of like all of the days of building out your your network as someone that didn't grow up, you know, or or wasn't born in, in a certain city?
1: Yeah, uh, great question. And it took me a, a long time to sort of uh, realize this, but the things that when you're young that are unique about you and different, um you tend not to appreciate and you want to just fit in you want to be like everyone else you're sort of frustrated that um you know your your name is uh is funny and hard to pronounce your parents speak with an accent you're not from these same communities um you didn't grow up playing baseball with your dad you know all of those things that are small insignificant differences, maybe even not that important to others. They become things that, uh, when you're trying to fit in at a young age, you, you're not so excited about Mm. and the, uh, you know, older you get and the more I think you, um, to journey through life, the more you recognize just how important those, those differences, those unique elements about you are, they are, um, Your strengths, not your weaknesses. They are uh, the thing that hopefully allows you to really uh, connect with people, to have a different view, um, to add a different perspective. So embrace it. uh, Those are things and elements about you that make you you. And each one of us has something special to contribute to this world. And conversely, you know, be kind and be curious about others because Everyone again has something that you can learn from them, and uh, a story that's worth hearing and listening to.
0: Mm, that was really well put, and and I love I love it on so many different levels because you're not just encouraging sort of um you know being aware of both your wh- whether you think they're flaws or insecurities or whatever that is, but but in being aware of them, both the positive and the negative it allows you to be more empathetic towards others. And I feel like right now with, you know, just kind of how like icky the comment section is of Twitter and Facebook and TikTok and just like there's so much negativity going on that if you like start from that place of, as you're talking about like identifying that you yourself have what seem to be like insecurities or hurdles or obstacles to overcome but by like being aware of those, you're able to be a little kinder and nicer to others, which kind of makes the whole system better. And and I, I think it was really well put. Um, yeah, I appreciate you breaking that down for us.
1: Now, like- Empathy my- and vulnerability. Yeah, these days is more important than ever. We've each got our own, uh, you know, distinct journey through life, but mm-hmm. we all have it. Um, and that in and of itself is, is a- i think solid foundation to build connections from is that
0: yeah so so let me let me ask you then a question that like basically the way that i'm hearing you say it is that when you have adversity at a really young age that adversity especially when it's tied to things that are very personal and very um, uh, you're very insecure about, like you can't change your last name or you can't change the fact that your parents speak with an accent. So there's not a lot you can do about it, which makes you so out of control. But you you deal with this adversity at a young age and that then creates this ability at a later age for you to have empathy and, and to create these better relationships. My question to you is, do you think that it's a like a strength for people to deal with adversity, as you're mentioning, at a young age, or is it better for them to deal with adversity at a later age, right? So to take the opposite, someone that doesn't have a lot of adversity growing up, everything's going great, but then they get smacked in the face at 22 or 24 or 27. Um, I'm curious your perspective on like net-net, is it a good thing for children to be going through such adversity, even though at the moment it feels like unconquerable, uh, or is it better for someone to deal with adversity later in life once they've been able to sort of develop themselves more?
1: Yeah, it's it's a, it's a great and um, really interesting question. While none of us can necessarily choose adversity, um, and, and in the moment probably don't wish for it, uh, nothing worthwhile comes easily. And no one gets stronger when things are um, just passively happening to them. I think adversity definitionally and challenges build strengths, um, you know, through new skills, through, uh, you know, new characters or uh, characteristics or or skills that you have to kind of develop. uh, But also through that self-confidence that's gained in um, in overcoming each of those small challenges. So Mm -hmm. discomfort is a signal for growth. Uh, and and it happens right in, in every, every single part of life that you can think about. You're only going to get stronger by continuing to push yourself a little more than you did the last time by doing it again. Uh, and so I'd say embrace the adversity, uh, have kind of confidence in your ability to work through it. It's always really difficult to have perspective in any given moment about, Uh, just how long life is and um, you know the good or bad news is the some of the adversities we have early on end up feeling pretty trivial later in life the one thing that uh, I think all of us can be assured of is that we're going to have challenges um, and some of them are going to be really tough but they're all conquerable and particularly when Uh, you're able to build that skill of um, knowing and enduring, and when you're able to kind of be self-aware and vulnerable and reach out to others for help and support. And I think uh, as a corollary to that, when you notice that other people are having these moments of adversity, be empathetic, recognize it, um, reach out, lend a hand, Uh, you'll make a friend, you'll be glad you did, and hopefully somebody will do it for you when when uh, the situation's Perfect. reversed.
0: Yeah, um, that's that's fantastic to to kind of bridge it back or to loop it back around this idea of discomfort and growth. There was a moment, I'm sure, while you were at you know this health care <laughs> tech intersection, where you started to feel like it might be time to take this next journey. And I I know that you know tech Fen is not traditionally a um, venture fund. You know, they're not your typical venture capitalist group. They're a much, much bigger company. So maybe you could talk a little bit about TechFen and just how you even heard about it to begin with. I, I know that there was some you know, relationship um, that sort of connected the dots, but maybe talk about uh, what TechFen is and you know, what it was about the company that made you so interested in what they were doing.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I I spent um, probably five years of my career in total, including the time during business school in uh, healthcare, uh, helping trying kind to of build solutions. Had uh, a chance at large companies and sort of smaller ones, being a part of for the first time kind of the investment community, having a chance to work with Lux um, uh, Capital. And after five years and having just finished kind of business school, I was sort of ready for my next challenge. And I I didn't know exactly what it was gonna be, um, but serendipitously found alignment um, on some of the importance and possibilities that uh, innovation targeted on some of these legacy industries could represent uh, about four or five years ago now. And so today we are, as you mentioned, a strategically backed corporate venture fund, we were set up in partnership with TechFen Holding, which is a diversified industrial conglomerate, publicly traded business uh, located in Istanbul, Turkey. It's a large company. They have a rich history and deep expertise in things like industrial contracting, the agribusiness uh, vertical and manufacturing, going all the way back to the 1950s. And you know, the regional leaders, Techland Holding, um, and they felt uh, the board both an opportunity and I think a sense of responsibility in helping to spur and accelerate new innovations for these uh, massive verticals that that they're um, an important part of as well. And as we talked about before, I've always sort of found purpose in solving problems, especially ones that help people make the world better, was loved technology and um, and and had a passion for investing and so as we looked at some of the um, opportunities serendipitously with with a friend who uh, was was a part of the TechFin Holding uh, group found that there was you know really strong alignment in kind of leveraging what they know what they've done um, and what maybe I could bring with slightly new perspective. And we, we ended up sort of culminating the conversations um, across many months with, with this fund that, that today uh, we're investing at it today.
0: And maybe, um, you know, because I, I know you guys span such, uh, you know, broad verticals, maybe talk a little bit about, you know, the types of investments or, or maybe how you think about, uh, investing. Um, do you have a particular vertical that you stay focused in? Are there sure. a couple you stay focused in? Um, maybe talk to us a little bit about what you look for uh, in a startup that you're that you're trying to, um, you know, put money into.
1: Right. And so, um, in
0: terms of sectors, uh, and again, the kind of
1: through line is it, it's an it's an early stage business, and they're leveraging some really exciting and potentially transformative technology or science enabled innovation that can have big impact for the way that we feed, build, or supply all of us, right? And in providing for those essential needs, you've got the sectors of construction, manufacturing, uh, agriculture, um, and the supply chains that kind of tie them all together. And and real estate as well. And so you're talking about really, really large industries uh, that have sort of been left behind a little bit by innovation and now are at a point where they have to adopt new uh, solutions. And thankfully, there's been sort of a uh, proliferation of of bold entrepreneurs who are leveraging some really unique technologies that uh, the science and, and, and broader tech community have have helped to bring to market and finding a way where they can serve this great purpose um, in these sectors. So the technology type doesn't really uh, matter so long as you know we believe that it is potentially the right answer solution for big pain point. We invest in companies that have software technologies, ones that employ hardware uh, and others that are leveraging life science-based innovation for, um, for solving problems. I think solving problems, right, and some, something that is a massive new enabling capability and one where there is kind of a true passion and purpose at the heart of the founding team and the broader kind of uh, uh, community that they've built around um, chasing this uh, journey. I think is what really resonates for us.
0: Now, Chris, I, I could imagine that like every industry you work within is using their money that you invest in a different way. Um, but, but like I could imagine that if, let's say, I think you and I talked about a company that was rethinking what like the tractor process would be like on different farms and like how you would do agriculture. And if you were going to be building these like giant machinery or different robotic, you know, uh, automation processes that would require at least I think like millions of dollars to get off the ground. Whereas maybe another life science business only needs a couple hundred thousand dollars to get off the ground. So one of my questions is, is there sort of like a standard average check size? Are you guys typically the ones that lead the round? Are you doing multi-million dollar deals, or are we talking, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollar deals? So maybe just talk a little bit more about like what a what a typical yeah. deal would look like. And, and um, I would imagine it's different per industry, but maybe you could uh, uh, put some, shed some light into that.
1: Absolutely. So it is, it does vary. And we've seen a change, you know, over the last four years in terms of the amount of capital that's typically being raised our kind of investment focuses on um, series A and series B rounds within the verticals and types of technologies that we're investing in these rounds, uh, you know, can be anywhere from eight, 10 to, to hundred million dollars of capital at a time. Today, we're, we're a pretty humble and small um, player and, and investor in these syndicates. So we're typically writing kind of two to $3 million initial checks. Uh, we don't today have the size fund where we can, um, initiate and lead these rounds, but we try to be important. Uh, it's important as you can be, um, enablers of, of the investments, uh, and of these rounds coming together, the amount of capital that goes into both building a new emerging technology like this and applying it to these massive industries where there's just sort of a higher bar for, um, everything working perfectly is, you know, does at times take more capital and you do have to have sort of a longer term view. You do have to make sure that it's the right investors around the table. Most of the deals we've been a part of uh, pretty much. I think all of them actually have other strategics and um, so financial investors. Uh, they tend to be folks who are both there for the, financial opportunity, but also have a perspective on why it's so important and what the kind of massive upside could be if, if everyone's kind of able to work together and and we can help bring it to market.
0: So Chris, sorry to cut you off, but I, I think that's an important, um, piece of the puzzle to, uh, discuss a little bit more, which is along the lines of, you know, I think that, uh, There's obviously pros and cons to doing traditional venture versus corporate venture. Like both of them have pros, both of them have cons. But for those that aren't really sure or don't have never even heard of like corporate venture, maybe talk about like why would a, you know, five to 10 person startup in Milwaukee Want to that's working in the agriculture space, want to work with a corporate venture? Like, why, why would you want to um, work with TechFen? And maybe you could talk about some of the benefits of what happens when you work with a corporate venture like you guys.
1: Sure. So, I think one of the things, hopefully, that's uh, refreshing about working with a strategic investor corporate venture fund is you typically don't have to explain the problem or why it's important to us uh, that you're working to solve. And for folks that might be building something in some of these, as you put it, less sexy, um, uh, less maybe common markets, having to explain why, you know, if you build a data analytics solution, that's not just for measuring the effectiveness of ad retargeting, but rather the security or operational integrity of a massive chemical plant or you know power plant why that's kind of such a need um, it's I think it helps uh, to connect with somebody from time to time that immediately gets that that recognizes kind of the importance of what you're doing and that can be a thought partner to bringing it to market to prioritizing some of the product development pathways that can connect you to either other corporate or financial investors that um, might also share uh, an interest and enthusiasm for innovation in that vertical. I think the uh, chance to talk to um, an investor that can make introductions to potential customers for you is critical. Uh, When you're building something for some of these massive industries, it's not like you have a factory at home that you can uh, you know, prototype and, and test your, um, your API on you. You don't have the data sets uh, ready to um, try to analyze and use for training data. So there's, there's a lot of typically um, access questions, both in terms of needs of expertise and a potential kind of customer pilot partners that I think are made easier when you, uh, have conversations with corporate investors.
0: And, and when you start to think about the types of founders you invest in, I I was talking to you about this, you know, before, and I, I just find it fascinating that, you know, when it comes to certain technologies, like You know, check out this app that we have or check out this Shopify store. It's very easy to crunch some numbers and do some due diligence and check out their website or their app and decide if you want to invest. Um, But in some of these industries, like in some of the deep tech or the hardware products, it must be so difficult for you to, you know, make these uh, investments with conviction or at at least not being able to sit in front of them at the table, I, I could imagine is tough. So you know, when you don't have all of those signals, like being able to sit right in front of them, take them out to a couple of dinners or a coffee, what sorts of things do you look for when you're investing in founders? And, you know, when you're taking a first or a second call, um, this kind of goes back to my original uh, story that we had around pivot, but like what was it about these founders that were like, you know, absolutely I have to get involved even if it means I can't meet them. Um, Can you talk about what you look for in the investments or the founders um, founding team I would say that you invest in?
1: Yeah, so to your point, it can be a little bit trickier investing in some of these more nascent parts of the venture ecosystem because we don't have 10 or 20 years of kind of historical comps and metrics that we're looking for where it's very easy to see based on benchmarking, what an outperformer looks like with $3 million of capital at a seed round and what, uh, you know, based on customer acquisition costs, lifetime value, you know, how it compares to other businesses that you've seen and, uh, what the exit potential looks like. So we've got to kind of build our own heuristics for what is, uh, a business that is really unique and special and try to um, adapt it over time into the types of companies that we'll invest in. I think that, that's a big point is you have to, I think, be really methodical and thorough and just constantly refresh your thinking on on what is uh, what makes a great business and it's changing and what success looks like. I think when it comes to founders. You want people that are just passionate beyond belief, dedicated to um, solving a problem. I think it's always important for me to understand the why behind it. Why is this something that you will not give up on until you've solved? What makes you uniquely positioned to do so? You know, there's an element of sort of irrational uh, um, optimism and and stubbornness that I think is so critical. Building a business from scratch is, is it's hard. It's one of the bravest things that I think collectively we do is try to make something that didn't exist before, bring it to market, um, create value, uh, you know, create jobs, uh, and solve a problem. And so, but it's a long and hard journey, even if you do everything right. Um, You know, you're setting out on a path that you should plan for uh, 10 years to be on at least and you've got to be okay with it. And I think that passion and that kind of conviction of your unique view of the world, the problem that you are hell-bent on solving and why you're assembling and why you're the head of a purpose-built team that is going to be the first and best uh, among us to to achieve it, I think is is incredibly important. And you mentioned pivot, you know, that, that's a team that is developing, you know, one of the holy grails we have for future of agriculture. Um, uh, and it was not an easier quick journey, you know, the founder spent, uh, I think seven years before starting the company working on kind of understanding very, very unique and specific set of uh, microbacteria and their capabilities and how it interacts with the roots of, you know, corn plants and what that means and seven years in a PhD program for starting the company and and even, um, you know, it wasn't a uh, trivial sort of fleeting uh, interest. It was a passion and you know, over time, I think good founders have an ability and a magnetism that pulls others in to try to do the seemingly impossible and solve this, even though uh, it's been tried and, and uh, been unsuccessful before and, and just run through walls and get others to do the same. And I think that's a key uh, attribute of, of what we look for. I think there's a lot of risk that you take as an investor. Uh, very different kind of risk than obviously the entrepreneurs and founders that are building these companies. But you do take a chance on each business. There are things that most things you're never going to know or have uh, certainty in. You can think about those as kind of market risk. Does anyone even need what I want? And is there a lot of people that uh, might pay for it? You know. There's a million steps that uh, I have to do to execute on this. Can I possibly do it and get all of them right? And, you know, and that's more execution. And then there's the technology risk component, which is, you know, even even if people would buy it and even if I do everything right, is it is it kind of possible? And I think for us, we try to invest in such um. Transformative solutions and for really big problems, that there's no question of, of the market. Um, it's more, you know, is this the right kind of solution uh, that addresses it? Does it, is it work 10, 20, 30 years from now, potentially, or is this just a moment in time kind of mm-hmm. band aid? Is it the team that has that grit and perseverance and can, uh, you know, basically carry a business through? so many difficult steps and evolutions of its life cycle that it's going to continue on. Very different to be you know, part of a five person team and then 15 person and then 30. And some of these companies that we've invested in are doubling uh, in size more every year. And you've got to basically evolve as, as a founding team um, and as founders. Across each of those uh, stages successfully, and recognize when the organization needs to evolve, bring in the right partners, uh, make a lot of difficult prioritization. Um, so, and then there's the technology part, which is, you know, is this the best chance we've got now, and is this right moment in time for this technological capability to be unleashed? You know. You try to look for signals. Um, try to make sure that uh, the data, the team, the kind of diligence vets it out. And then some of it's just common sense. You know, are we in a place where you know Tesla's got more data on navigating you know a two lane road than uh, we could ever hope to have as a startup? It's still not perfectly autonomous, even though there's been you know billions of dollars uh, invested into that particular tech in that company and much more when you think about the broader market. Now try to, uh, imagine, you know, not navigating a two lane road, but a very chaotic and constantly moving construction site where visibility is not great, where tools and other obstacles are left ground, where it's changing every day, where, um, you know, you might drive off the, the side of the, uh, a uh, building because the kind of scaffolding isn't there to block you up. So we're not fully ready to do that in one vertical where things are simple. Do we believe that's the perfect moment in time to do it with much uh, more limited resources? And today, uh, you, you know, you kind of have to try to pull in signals from other aspects and other technological um, applications. And triangulate, and and then and then you commit, and you know we put everything we can in terms of our emotional and uh, and mental and and uh, you know other capabilities to helping these companies continue to get to the next stage and continue to kind of accomplish uh, you know at each milestone they've set out to do. So, so it's it's not a passive kind of investment. You can buy a little bit uh, GameStop shares and you know a lot of people did and then just kind of hope to see if you were right or wrong. We have, I think, um, the privilege of investing in companies where, of course, if they don't continue to raise more money, if they don't continue to execute it at kind of superhuman levels, they won't get there. Uh, and it does take a village and, um, trying to marshal resources and, uh, and and be a supportive investor to you know successfully continue down that path, I think is is uh,
0: something that hopefully we all do. And just so so anyone listening knows if they're the right fit for for Techfin. I I know you've mentioned a couple different industries. Maybe you could say something to the effect of like. If you're a founder in blank industry, you know you would be a good fit, or they should look out. So maybe just um, for anyone listening, that's like, I'm not sure if I should reach out to Chris or or learn more about these guys. You know, what are the sorts of founders that you want to be reaching out, or what sort of industries or or challenges that they're solving? Do you really want to be, yeah. you know, talking to?
1: Yeah. Thanks, Sean. So specifically, if you're a founder raising a Series A or B round and you're building something in ag tech, construction tech, industrial technology, or prop tech, we'd love to meet you. And um, even if you're a little bit earlier than that, please reach out and we'd love to get to know you even sooner, Uh, have the chance to kind of understand the vision you're building towards. And if we can be helpful in making connections and start to build a relationship uh, even ahead of that Series A, We'd love to. I think we win if there are more founders that decide to build companies. You know, attacking these markets, solving because there's so much work to do. Um, You know, talk about low-hanging fruit. Uh, There's so much white space, and we need kind of our best and brightest minds to uh, to help solve these challenges. And I'd love to see the next great tech company uh, that's built and successful one be not a social media network, but a, a new factory, uh, a new fertilizer, uh, a new automation for warehouses or on the construction site where there are dangerous, uh, you, you know, or unpleasant jobs that can and should probably be automated. The markets are massive. You know, we're talking about trillions of dollars of end markets and, uh, and yeah so there's there's lots of opportunity here and more and more folks who are investing in it because we're seeing more and more successful exits it's uh, it's a very i think exciting time if you're starting a company in this space to be
0: to be doing so and chris for for those that want to connect with you what's the best email to reach you at or or are you on social what's the best way to connect with you and and build that relationship
1: yeah uh Feel free to email me my first name at techfemventures.com, K-R-I-S. Except if it's spam, then please don't. Um, and and we'd we'd love to meet you. Uh, I'd love to meet you and uh hear your story
0: and uh and yeah. Awesome, Chris. This was a fantastic episode. Thank you so, so much for joining us today on Demoday. I really, really appreciate you.
1: No, I, I, I appreciate it, Sean. Thank you so much. Uh, it, it, it's my my pleasure. And um, yeah, thanks for all the questions.
0: You're so welcome. Everyone tuning in at home. Thank you guys so much for listening, watching, wherever we are. We appreciate you. Thank you. I'm Sean Goldfadden, CEO of Coefficient Labs. This is Demo Day. Peace, guys.